Thanks for checking out this message from Coastal Community Church. We hope it's helpful and encouraging. Hey everybody, good morning and welcome to Coastal. I am Pastor Chris. Great to see you uh, here today in person. Great to see all of you guys uh, tuning in and joining us online. Uh, hey, I am excited about Easter. As Chris said, we're only three weeks away. And uh, so today in person, uh, we have several uh, invite tools that we want you to take advantage of and uh, to take home today. And if you're watching online, we would encourage you to maybe come by during the week, pick up some of these things and, uh, and use them as well. Well, and so the first thing that I want to show you is our Easter at Coastal.com yard sign. And uh, we've, we've been using these yard signs uh, for several years, and we literally have people at our church right now uh, that have started coming to Coastal because uh, they looked us up online, found this, uh, saw a yard sign somewhere, and uh, you know looked up the website and uh, started coming to our church uh, on an Easter weekend. And so we've got like about 150 or so uh, of these yard signs, and so we're encouraging everybody. There's a table there at the back of the auditorium. There's a table in the Welcome Center. Drop by, pick up several of these, and strategically place them uh, around town. Intersections, uh, high traffic areas, um, you know, stop signs, neighborhoods, uh, where you live, work, parent, and play. Uh, now, we, we also ask you, if you put a sign out, multiple signs out, make sure you own those signs in the sense that as soon as Easter is over, we don't want to be like some of our local politicians who leave their, uh, you know, their, their signs out for months on end. Uh, we're not going to do that. So as soon as Easter is over, go by, pick up your sign, and bring it back to the church. We actually recycle these over the years and use them over and over again. Now, we're going to lose some you know, to... Uh, you know, aggressive HOAs and uh, City of Charleston landscaping, maybe some neighborhood Nazis where you live, uh, things like that. But uh, get them out and uh, maybe take a picture of your sign. Uh, use the hashtag Easter at Coastal and uh, let us know where you put it. And uh, we're excited about that. The other thing we have for you this morning is actually a little gift, uh, a free gift today. And it's a small little Easter book called At the Cross. And uh, it looks at the different people who are with Jesus Jesus at the cross. And uh, we're giving this book away as a means of helping you kind of finish out your Easter fast and prepare your hearts and minds for Easter weekend, but also as an invite tool. In fact, the sign at the table says, take one and give one. We'd actually like you to take one and give like five, give 10. Uh, friends, neighbors, family, coworkers. And then inside there's a little bookmark with all the service times, Easter at coastal.com. And, uh, you know, as I said, it looks at the people who are with Jesus at the cross and then the last chapter is entitled, You at the Cross. And so it's a great way to share the gospel with people, friends and family. So make sure you get those today. And again, if you're watching online, uh, make sure you just come by the church one day this week and uh, pick up uh, some yard signs, pick up some books, and uh, be a part of our outreach here at Coastal. So today, we are in week five of this series called To the Church. And each week, we're looking at one of the seven letters that Jesus wrote to the church in the book of Revelation. And what we've discovered, and I hope you've discovered this too, is that these letters, 
even though he wrote them 2,000 years ago, man, they are relevant today to the church and to you and me as individuals. So Revelation chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. Follow along. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Sardis. This is the message from the one who has the sevenfold spirit of God and the seven stars. Now stop there just for a moment. God doesn't have seven holy spirits, okay? The number seven in the book of Revelation symbolizes perfection and completeness. And then he mentions the seven stars. Now we know from earlier in Revelation, those seven stars represent the seven churches. And so basically what he's saying here as he opens up this letter to this church is that the Holy Spirit of God is all that you will ever need. That he is perfect and complete and ready and willing to empower you and empower the church, okay? Let's continue. I know all the things you do and that you have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. Strengthen what little remains, for even what is left is almost dead. I find that your actions do not meet the requirements of my God. Go back to what you heard and believed at first. Hold to it firmly. Repent and turn to me again. If you don't wake up, I will come to you suddenly, as unexpected as a thief. Yet there are some in the church in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes with evil. They will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. All who are victorious will be clothed in white. I will never erase their names from the book of life, but I will announce before my Father and his angels that they are mine. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. Now, let's talk just for a moment as we've done each week about the, the city of Sardis, okay? The city of Sardis was considered to be the wealthiest city on the face of the earth at this time. The river Pactolus ran through the city and it was said to be the greatest gold-yielding river ever to be discovered. It was estimated that the amount of gold that had been panned out of that river exceeded the $1 billion mark as we measure money today. So so this was a very, very wealthy city, and it was largely known for its banking, okay? But let's kind of pull back the curtain a little bit, and let's talk about the church here, the church at Sardis. The first thing I want us to uh, pay attention to, you'll see on your outline, is the condition, the condition of the church. And Jesus sums it up in one sentence, I know all the things you do, and that you have a reputation for being alive but you are dead. So that was their problem. Their reputation did not match, match the reality. Now, if you, you know, pulled up with your chariot on any given day of the week at the church at Sardis, you would see the place humming with activity. They had meetings, people coming and going. You know, as far as us today, they would have had, you know, seminars and classes and programs. And evidently, it was not an unloving church. Jesus doesn't say that. Everybody seemed to be at peace. But it was the peace of a cemetery, Jesus says. It was dead. The real living organism that was to be the church had been replaced with just an organization. And by the way, it's so easy to let that happen. It's easy to let that happen in the church, and it's easy to let that happen in your own life, where you just seem to be going through the motions. And so for just a moment this morning, I want us to talk about what that looks like, okay? If you're taking notes, number one, they had looks without life. Looks without life. 
Look with me at Matthew 23, 27, and 28. This is a long section, actually. Go home and read it on your, on your own in, in Matthew 27, where Jesus is uh, just ripping the Pharisees, okay? But I want you to notice what he says. Listen to this, because this could have very easily described the church at Sardis. He says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to be to people as righteous, but on the inside, you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Again, what a, what a graphic, graphic picture. But that was a pretty accurate description of what Jesus is saying about the church at Sardis. You know, they, they, they might, you know, one time it's sung with great gusto, they witnessed, they praised the Lord. Maybe at some point they were on fire, but that life, that vibrant life had been replaced with just the look of life. They were just going through the motions. But there was the stench of, of death. They had looks without life. Number two, they had performance without a personal relationship. A performance without a personal relationship. Isaiah 29, 13, listen to this. And so the Lord says, these people say they are mine. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And their worship of me, listen to this, is nothing but man-made rules learned by rote. The word rote there, it means repetition without meaning. In other words, it's possible to perform the right acts, and that's what they were doing. But they were just going through the motions. Okay, they were, they were doing the right things. You know, they were putting the Lord's Supper to their lips at the right time. They were saying the right prayers. They were participating in the right events. They were attending church regularly, but their faith, this living, breathing relationship with God had become a thing of habit and tradition and not a thing of the heart. And again, remember, Jesus is the one who stands before us with, remember this, blazing eyes of fire, and he knows your heart. He sees it. Take a look with me at Amos chapter 5, verses 21 through 24. I hate, man, when God says he hates something, we ought to pay attention, right? I hate all your show and pretense, the hypocrisy of your religious festivals and solemn assemblies. I will not accept your burnt offerings and grain offerings. I won't even notice all your choice peace offerings. Now, notice this. They were doing, though, exactly what God had told them to do. But notice God says, I'm not going to accept them. And even goes on, he says, away with your noisy hymns of praise. I will not listen to the music of the harps. Again, it doesn't matter, he's saying, if you gather together and sing these beautiful songs and get a rocking praise band, it don't matter if your heart's not right. He says, instead, I want to see a mighty flood of justice, an endless river of righteous living. You see, again, God's not critical in and of what they were doing specifically. God was critical that all of it was being done without a relationship behind it. And it's so easy to fall into that trap. You know, to come together and sing on Sundays 
with no real relationship with Jesus. And sometimes people will do that and they'll think, whew, I did my duty one more week. I paid my penance, right? Listen, don't fool yourself. God's not gonna accept that as worship. And yet so much of what happens uh, in the church for a lot of people as far as God's concerned is just that, it's just performance. It's just noise. And God is reminding the church, he's reminding us, listen, when you serve me, when you serve in the name of Jesus and you actually help other people, when you, you know, come together to worship me corporately, when you give, when you serve, you just need to make sure that it's being done, that it's flowing out of a personal love relationship. Not just because you think it's the thing to do. Or you're trying to check something off the list or you know, earn your way into God's favor. You know what else, else they had? Number three, they had form without faith. Form without faith. Second Timothy 3, 5 says that there are people who will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. And that's what was happening here at the church at Sardis. It's as though God's power, God's, you know, active power in their lives had just become like a doctrine to be believed. You know, it's like when you say, well, yes, of course, I, I believe in God, I believe in Jesus, I, I believe in the resurrection, I believe in the Holy Spirit's unlimited power, but when it comes to actually applying that to your own life and living it out on a day-by-day -day basis, you say, yeah, but I don't actually believe that he's doing it, I just believe in the, uh, the doctrine of it, form without faith. But listen, it is the churches and the people who believe in God's unlimited power moving in and out of their lives. Those are the ones who are actually making an impact around the world. It is not just a doctrine to be believed. It is a faith to be lived out day by day. You know, you might say, yeah, I believe in the doctrine of prayer. Do you pray? I believe in the doctrine of tithing. Do you tithe? I believe in the infallible word of God. Do you read it? Do you let it permeate your life? If not, it's possible you just have form without faith. And then the last thing, they had popularity without power. Popularity without power. It's interesting that Jesus said in Luke 6, 26, what sorrow awaits you who are praised by the crowds? for their ancestors also praised the false prophets. We don't like to be unpopular, do we? I mean, we don't. we don't. We don't like to be different. We don't like to stick out like a sore thumb. I mean, nobody likes that. Honestly, that's probably one of the main reasons why I cut my grass, okay? My neighbor, and I love my neighbor, he's got a manicured lawn. I mean, it's beautiful. He has a lawn service, okay? So that's maybe why, but I mean, they come out early and they come out multiple times and they've already started coming out and I'm just frustrated by that because you know what's happening, right? Man, his, his lawn looks beautiful. Mine looks terrible, okay? And then what's gonna happen is the other neighbors start cutting their grass and then what? And then it's mine, right? I only cut my grass for two reasons, shame and guilt and now, you know, here it comes. And so I'm going to like, oh, Ken, what are you doing? You're killing me. You know, I got to start cutting my grass, you know? 
I don't want to stand out like a sore thumb. And Jesus is serving an indictment to the church here at Sardis and to you and me. And he's saying, listen, sometimes, you know, it's possible you become so concerned about what other people think, about not sticking out like a sore thumb, about not being different, that you've substituted popularity for power. You want to be popular. You want to be accepted. And as a result, you're dead, he said. Listen, God never intended his people to fit in. He wants us to stand out. Now, let me explain. He does, that doesn't mean he wants you to go around trying to be different, okay? Trying to manufacture something in your own power and in your own strength. He just wants you to live for him where you live, work, parent, and play. And as a result, you will be different. You know what? Satan, by the way, you, you don't see this in Scripture here, that Satan was you know, attacking the church at Sardis. He wasn't. Do you know why? He didn't have to. It was already dead. And let me tell you something. As a pastor of all the churches here in the book of Revelation, all the problems and all the conditions that we've looked at, this is probably the one that I wouldn't want to prevail here at Coastal more than any of the others. So that was the condition. Let's take a look at the cure, verses two and three. Wake up, an appropriate uh, two-word cure today on Time Change Sunday, right? Wake up, strengthen what little remains, for even what is left is almost dead. I find that your actions do not meet the requirements of my God. Go back to what you heard and believed at first. Hold to it firmly. Repent and turn to me again. If you don't wake up, I will come to you quickly as, an un, as unexpected as a thief. Three quick things here. First of all, recognize. Recognize. There's got to be a recognition that our Jesus still has power over death. We've got to believe that. We've got to recognize that. They had lulled themselves into the sleep of death, but here's the good news. It wasn't permanent, evidently, because Jesus said, wake up. And by the way, that's the same word in Greek for the resurrection. Come alive, life to the dying. He's saying it is still available. At the word of Jesus, he can bring to life that which is dead. And there needed to be some resurrections in Sardis. And guess what? From time to time, there need to be resurrections today. It's possible when you walk out of these doors on Sunday morning and tomorrow morning when you head off to work and you face the world, that which is on fire and blazing within your heart can become cooled so quickly. And sometimes it can cool to the point of death. And Jesus says, wake up, resurrect, come to life. And then number two, we're to remember. He says, go back to what you heard and believed at first. Go back, remember, remember what you heard and believed. Now, what had they heard and believed? They had heard and believed the gospel. Now, we talk a lot about the gospel here at Coastal. The gospel is the good news, the good news that Jesus has died for our sins, that he was buried, and on the third day, he rose again to prove his power over sin and death. And at one time, they had heard that, and they had believed that. 
They'd believe the good news. They'd believe the, how the blood of Jesus could cleanse them from their sin. They had heard and believed how the Holy Spirit was now present in their life to give them power for everyday living. They had everything that they needed for the Christian life to live it triumphantly and victoriously. And what Jesus is saying, listen, you need to recall that. You need to remember that. You need to bring that back to your mind that day that you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Now, what about you? Do you remember that day? Do you remember when Jesus became a reality in your life? Let me tell you something. Sometimes, you know, when I get discouraged, when I'm feeling a little bit low, do you know what I love, love, love to think about? I started thinking about that night so many years ago when I was 13 years old that I walked down an aisle at summer camp and I gave my life to Jesus. And I like to think about the joy and the excitement and the thrill of that night. And I think about how I went home the next day and down my street, I walked down the street to my best friend's house and I shared the good news of the gospel with him too. And he gave his life to Jesus. And all of a sudden, I'm not so down anymore. I'm not discouraged. And you might say, yeah, but Pastor Chris, God doesn't want us to live in the past. Well, that's true, but this is Jesus saying, I want you to remember this. Don't forget it. Keep it fresh in your mind. You should never forget the, the power of the gospel and how it transformed your life. You know, I, you know what the reason is I think so many people don't share their testimony, don't share their story with other people? Because you forgot it. You, you don't remember it. You forget how you once came to Christ, how you are a sinner in need of a Savior, and how he has transformed you. I think we also, uh, by the way, need to remember who we are in Christ, what we now have in Christ. Let me ask you a question. Any of you ever feel inferior? If you ever feel like a nobody in a world of somebodies? Well, let me share some good news with you today. When Jesus is your Savior and your Lord, he brings meaning and significance and purpose to your life. He gives you more value and self-worth and self-esteem than you could ever imagine. In Jesus Christ, you are a son or a daughter of God. You are a child of the King. Listen to me. Forget about, forget about Oprah Winfrey's inner interview with Prince Harry and Meghan. Woo! Listen to me. That is nothing. That is nothing. In Jesus Christ, you are a true prince. You are a true princess. In Christ, you are heirs of everything that belongs to God. You are forgiven. You are washed. You are cleansed. You are spirit-filled. You are ready for anything this world might throw at you. That's who you are. And you need to remember that. You need to recall that. And then number three, Jesus says, repent. Repent. Ain't nobody clapping for that one, are we? <laughs> repent. And guess what? That, is a, that has been a common theme, a common thread through all these letters. So that ought to say something to us. This is from Jesus, guys. Listen, nothing will bring life out of death quicker than true repentance, We've talked about it almost every week. What does repentance mean? It, it means recognizing who God is and who we are in comparison to his holiness. 
You see, it's so much more than just simply being sorry or remorseful for your sin. Although, sure, that is a small part of it. But it's being so humbled and so broken over the fact that a holy, a holy God would love somebody like me. That you actually turn away from your sin and you turn around and you turn toward God. You run to him, you follow him, you serve him, and you're not doing it so that you will earn his favor in the hopes that he will love you. You're doing it because you're blown away that he does love you. That's repentance. Now, the third thing that we see in this passage is the consequence, the consequence of an unrepentant life. You know what it is? It's judgment. Look again at the, at the end of verse three. Notice what Jesus says. If you don't wake up, I will come to you suddenly as, an unex, as unexpected as a thief. By the way, he's not only talking here about the second coming of Christ. He's not talking about the return of Christ. He's actually talking about a special personal invitation, a, a visitation that comes as a result of God's discipline in your life. Listen, I have lived long enough, pastored long enough, and worked long enough with enough people to know this. When we persist arrogantly in our sin, when we refuse to repent, when we refuse to, to, to listen to these wake-up calls in God's life, when we still keep shaking our fist arrogantly in the face of God, inevitably, there's gonna come a point in your life when you're gonna hit a stone wall. And that's God's judgment. Listen, don't you think for a moment that God has reserved all of his judgment for judgment day alone. In Hebrews 12, go home and read this for yourself. There, there is a process of discipline that God exercises in believers' lives not to punish us, not to hurt us, but to turn us around. To draw us to him, to save us. Save us from ourselves. And Jesus is saying, listen, I'm gonna come to you personally at a time that you're not gonna expect and I'm gonna exercise my judgment on you and your unrepentant life. But praise God for his comfort. Look at verses four and six. Yet there are some in the church in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes with evil. They will walk with me in white for they are worthy. All who are victorious will be clothed in white. I will never erase their names from the book of life, but I will announce before my Father and his angels that they are mine. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he's saying to the churches. He says, listen, and yet there are some in the church who have not soiled their clothes with evil. You know what? God's always had a few. There's always been a remnant. There's always been a small group of committed people that God has chosen to work through because our God typically uses the committed, not the crowd. The committed, not the crowd. Remember the story of Gideon in the Old Testament? Gideon wanted to wipe out uh, the enemy. And do you know what he did? He's the general. He goes out and he, he uh, commandeers, gathers together 32,000 fighting men. 32,000. And you know what God said? That's too many. Too many? I mean, what general ever says that? But God said, that's too many. Bring the number down, reduce the number. And if you remember the story, uh, Gideon goes all the way down from 32,000 men to a little, small, compared army of 300. 
who are totally committed to God and they end up winning the battle. And I think God is reminding his people, he's reminding his church that, you know what, I have always, if if I will just have a remnant, if I just have a few, if I just have a small group of people who are totally committed to me, man, I will work through the few far more effectively than I'll work through the crowd. And sometimes on Sunday mornings when I think about Charleston, you know, a whole city, by the way, listen to this, who have the reputation of being alive, just like Sardis, right? You know, we're supposed to be the what city? The holy city. We have a reputation of being alive, and yet so many are spiritually dead. And compared to the vast numbers, okay, out there in the tri-county area, in the world, Comparatively speaking, it appears as if we're just a small number. And yet I get the sneaking suspicion that our God wants to do something great with this small group of vibrant, committed, spirit-filled people, even though we can't hold a candle to the vast numbers of people out there because our God over and over again works through the committed, not the crowd. Now I want you to notice Three promises here that should bring a great, great comfort to you and me. Number one, the promise of white garments. He says we'll be clothed in white. Now, don't push back and say, yeah, but Pastor Chris, you know, it's not officially spring. You can't wear white yet. Or, you know, white's not my color. Guess what? You better get used to it. You better because we're going to get a white robe. We're going to get white garments. You know, it's, and it's symbolic. It symbolizes a cleansed life. You see, the only people that are going to walk into heaven when this world is said and done and everything has been destroyed are the people who walk in white, the people who have been washed, cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. And their sins have been forgiven and cleansed. That's what this represents. And then the second promise is this. I love this. God will not blot your name out of the book of life. Man, what a great promise. By the way, let me remind you of something. When God writes your name in the book of life, he doesn't write it in pencil with an eraser on the end on Thursday and then erases it on Friday if you screw up and then put it back on Saturday. Okay, first of all, let me, let me be clear here. What do you mean if you screw up? Okay, because guess what? You're a screw up and so am I. That's what the Bible teaches. We're all sinners in need of a savior, but we've put our faith and our hope and our trust in the only one who never sinned, who never screwed up, and it's by his righteousness that we are saved, not ours. Listen, if you are in Christ, you have nothing to fear. You have the assurance of salvation. Your name has been written in in indelible ink in in the book of life, and it will not be erased. That is God's promise. And then the last one, I love this. Jesus will vouch for you. Jesus will vouch for you. You know, Look look at the end of verse five, the rest of it. I will announce before my Father and his angels that they are mine. Man, I don't know about you, but the greatest desire of my heart is that one day, one day when my life here on this side of eternity is over and Jesus either comes again or calls me home, 
It is to humbly walk up and bow before the throne of God and to have Jesus put his arm around me and to stare right into his father's eyes and say, Dad, this is Chris. He's one of mine. Let me ask you, is Jesus going to be able to vouch for you? He can only do that with those people who have a personal relationship with him. Again, it's not, it's not form, it's not the organization, it's not good works, it's this relationship. And to everybody else, listen to me, to everybody else, he is going to say, Dad, I don't know who this is. What a horrible, horrible fate. You have the name or the reputation of being alive, and yet you are dead. But here's the good news. It's not too late. There can still be life at this moment. Right now at this moment, there can be life. You can be born again. You can come alive. Jesus will still vouch for you. He will write down your name in the Lamb's book of life. How? It's as simple as John 3.16, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Have you placed your faith in Christ? Have you given your life to him? You can do it today. Bow your heads and pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this wake-up call to the church at Sardis. And God, I believe it's a wake-up call today uh, to our church, to our city, our world. Wake up. It's not too late. Resurrection power is available. And listen, if you are here right now, if you're here in the room, if you're here online and you are ready to come home, you are ready to be dressed in white, you are ready to be cleansed, you are ready to have Jesus Christ vouch for you before his Father, if you are ready to have your name written down in the, in the book of life, it's through faith. Just pray something like this. Dear Heavenly Father, today I do repent. It's more, God, than just feeling sorry for my sin, although I recognize that. I have screwed up. I am a sinner in need of a Savior. And today, God, I believe that one has been provided. His name is Jesus. I bow my knee before him. I turn away from sin. I turn in faith toward him. I believe he's your son. I believe he died for my sin. I believe he rose again and will come back one day or call me home. And in the meantime, God, I just want to live for you. I want to follow him. God, I don't want to settle for form or organization. I want a relationship with you. And I know and I believe that that is established through faith in your son, Jesus. And Father, today I also pray for this church. God, may we never, never have the reputation of just being alive. And yet in the blazing eyes of Christ, we are dead. 
Thank you for this reminder today. We love you, and I pray this today in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. From Pastor Chris and the family at Coastal Community Church, have a blessed day.